Yeah, but the thing is, if you do it well enough, people will pay you. There are some wild jobs out there, like even outside of entertainment, like some crazy things of this is your job, like to do this. I wish I could, I'm blanking on them now. I just know every time I hear it, I'm like, that doesn't, it's not a real gig. That's not a thing. So if you're passionate about it and you like have fun and you want to make it a hobby, sure, keep doing that. Yeah. But like, just t do your 10,000 hours and try to get paid. You'd be surprised what somebody's willing to pay for. My sister always says, don't take someone's no away from them. So let them say no, like they don't have to pay you. They don't have to do it, <laughs> but like don't say no on their behalf. I... Hello everyone, welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Feeding Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity explores human experience. Through conversations, we can learn from other people with their ideas, their habits, routines, and anything else they've picked up along the way. It's through these conversations that we can have blueprints to live better in any form. I hope you look at your own life with just a little bit more curiosity. Guest today is Aiden Yaragal. Aiden is an LA-based, first-generation Ethiopian-American working towards cultivating an executive-level career in television development to bring communities together through representation and diverse storytelling. Currently, Aiden is co-producing the Greater Film Festival and working with the Enclave Entertainment Group as a development coordinator and script reader. Previously, Aiden began her career in telecom sales and media before shifting full-time into entertainment. In this conversation, Aiden and I explore why storytelling captured her attention at such a very young age. And as a child of an immigrant, we explore why storytelling can help you make sense of a brand new place in which your parents can't provide that for you. We talk much more about taking leap into the unknown for yourself. As I mentioned in the intro, she's working towards becoming an executive level producer. She made the decision a couple years ago to start working full time in the entertainment world, even though it was a major pivot and she wasn't getting paid to do it. And I think her story really shows that if you really believe in something, you have to just take the leap at some point. Rather than just dreaming about it, you have to start making it a reality. Then from there, we explore what it is to be in pursuit of something, but also to be more present at the same time. Because it's one thing to be driven all the time, but also you need to put space in between your days so that you can play the long game. I really enjoyed this conversation with Aiden and she's full of stories and passion for stories and being able to provide a lens on the world for experiences that have not already been captured. Please enjoy this conversation with Aiden Yargal. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. On today's episode, we are joined by Aiden Yargal. Hi Aiden. Hey Eric, how are you doing? Great. And I know uh, shout out to Jordan, honestly, for making this possible to just connect us and talk about your story and what you're interested in, really. So with that, can you just give us a little background of maybe your interests and then why you like where those interests came from? Because it'll lead into the story. Sure. So I'm a development coordinator and script court, script consultant with the Enclave group. I actually work with Jordan. And that's how we know each other to make this all possible. And my interests really lie in scripted television and the development of scripted TV. I was always interested in TV. Like it took me a, a really long time. Actually, let's just let me give you some backstory because yeah. it 
offload. <laughs> and you need that um, to understand where I'm coming from. So I was born and raised in Kansas. I'm a first generation Ethiopian American. And I've seen the effect that like entertainment has had on the public on public sentiment. I essentially, oh my goodness, I, I'm sorry, I'm like nervous. <laughs> it's okay. No worries. Oh, it's good to know who you are though. It's good to know who you are. So that's helpful for me. But essentially what is so first generation Ethiopian American, I grew up in Kansas and it's not exactly normal for an East African American family to land in the Midwest and essentially just came down to my uncle was there and he was like, Hey, come stay here. As soon as my parents immigrated here, like he bounced and went to DC to be a part of DC's little Ethiopia. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bad rude. Right. So that just left my parents. And then like later when my sisters and I were born in Kansas and we were one of the first Ethiopian families there just like by ourselves. So we lived in an Ethiopian household at home and we lived in America, everywhere outside of our home. And it just left me to reconcile two different worlds. And I did that by essentially diving headfirst into TV. I became like obsessive. Like I, anything that was like TV or movies, like I watched it all to the point where if you turn off a show that I've already seen, I would continue watching it like in my head. Like I knew what was coming, just move my head. Like if somebody stood in front of the TV, just like absentmindedly move. A running joke in my family is just I have selective hearing. Oh, Um, (laughs) Just because like if someone's calling, you know, like your parents like calling you like, hey, dinner's ready. I just didn't hear it. Like I wasn't being rude. I didn't ignore them. I like legitimately did not hear them because I was so focused on what I was watching. And looking back, I think that's just because the world of entertainment, like whether it's TV or film, just made sense. You had first, second, and third acts. Everything was tied neatly together at the end. And the world made sense. And that's so helpful when your world at home and your world at school and outside hanging out with your friends is so different. Like I had two sets of rules of what's, you know, like your unspoken rules that you live with social norms, right? Yep. I had two different sets. And so I had to find a way to reconcile that. And it just happened to be like television and just like storytelling and that, yeah. And that interest just kept growing and growing until I was about 16. Then I watched Twilight, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is a bummer that Twilight's like my moment, but I got mad obsessive about it. I bootlegged the film a little bit and I feel bad about that now, but I did. And then when the movie did come out, like on DVD, I just got really into the extras and watching the director's cut, watching like the making of absorbing all the information that I could about the like upcoming series because this is before they announced they were going to do the rest of the books Mm -hmm. like I was on Summit Entertainment's website like as I don't even know how old I feel like somewhere in the teens like maybe 15 ish like I was on their website like every day looking up is there news like what's happening with this and I just realized it was like right after my 16th birthday yeah so I guess I was 15 turning 16 right after my 16th birthday this is what I want to do wow yeah it's wild especially because it's not a doctor lawyer engineer which is if you're from not here like <laughs> your parents like that's the job criteria that you can pick from was it was uh, there any like resistance for your parents to, to oh God, for a film because I, I feel like as an immigrant family that's like really hard for them to be like hey i'm gonna go do this creative thing that's like yeah. analogous to saying i'm gonna go be a, an artist or anything else that's not doctor lawyer engineer right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no they had a full-on intervention and like i have a very large family and at this point like i'm a teen right and a lot of us are in Kansas. And so like just a bunch of people coming to my house, like, you're not going to make a career out of this. Like, how are you going to live? You can't do this. And they're like, just do it as a hobby. It's cool. <laughs> hobby. And I wish I could say I was a kid who was like, no, I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm going to keep doing my thing. But 
I was like, all right, you're right. This is a really hard industry. I'm not going to do it. It's fine. So I tried to get into the sciences. Wasn't my jam. And then I was like, I'm good at selling stuff. So we're going to study marketing in college. And I did that for a couple of years after college, like just after I graduated and did work. And like this bug just never went away. Like I was so unhappy with the work that I was doing every day at the office. And we're just, I really just want to get back into film like this. When you think about the power of storytelling, you can change the world. And to give that up to please somebody else, even if they're saying it like with the most loving intent of we just want you to be able to take care of yourself is so like difficult and heartbreaking. So I was just like, yo guys, I'm moving to LA. I'm going to do this thing. <laughs> and quit my job and just like up and left. Um, wow. Yeah, so yeah. What, what was that process like for you to work up Maybe courage is the right word or not the right word, but like just the stage of where you're, where this is where you want to be. And then that idea of taking that step and say, I don't, I can't work here anymore because I just need to go do something, which, you know, that is really scary move because you don't have a salary anymore or a stable income in that sense. And you're just like, I got to go figure this out. I don't care how that works. But like, sometimes that's what people need to be able to do the impossible like that, putting it all on the line just kicks you into high gear so that you can do the thing that you really want to be doing. Yeah. I kept thinking back to Gattaca. If you've seen that movie, something they showed me in like high school or whatever. And this one line keeps like sticking out to me. It's when the brothers swim out and they have that bet and the kid who's not genetically modified wins as far as who can swim out the furthest. And when his brother's like, how did you do this? Like how? And he's just, cause I didn't hold anything back. And his brother was like, I need to make sure I have energy to swim back. And that always was in my mind. I don't, it just, it was a great line. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic line. But like, I just realized I never went full in on this. And if it's something that I really want to do, like now's the time to do it. No dependence. I'm only responsible to myself. If I'm going to risk anything or my future or anything at all, this is my moment to do it. Otherwise, like, I don't want to be like, 20, 30 years down the line being like regretting or wondering what if. So that's what mentally got me to that position to where I wanted to do it. As far as like the environment that I've been around, like just I was in, those conversations were very hard. Yeah. It was, it was like, are you sure? This seems like a mistake. Like I would tell some friends and they're like, you're really doing this? Um, like they're like, that seems very risky. You have a great life here. And I did. I had a fantastic life in Kansas, but it was just time. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, like another reason why it was like, this is time to do it is I was watching the TV landscape change too. Shows like Fresh Off the Boat. What year was this around? Just so we can place it. I want to say right before 20. So I'm, I guess I'm jumping back and forth here. So this is like 2014 right now where I'm like getting used to the idea. Gotcha. I decided to move end of 2017 or early 2017, like February. So a lot of this is like internal dialogue and then 27 or 20 end of 2016 to 17. I'm like deuces. But when around 2014, it was like fresh off the boat came on TV. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was like the first time I saw my experience on TV. Like wow. I'm not from any Asian household at all. Yeah. But Eddie Wong's life at home was my life at home. And then he would go out to school. Like he couldn't go to sleepovers. He couldn't like, do other things or he had to convince his mom to let him do stuff that like everyone else could do. And I was just like, and I was like, oh my God. Okay, cool. So like other, like TV's willing to accept like my stories. And so I was just like getting more and more comfortable with the idea until eventually I was just like, all right, guys, like I worked, I did what y'all wanted me to do. This is not working out. I have to go. 
and I'm out. And now, four years later, right. after that. <laughs> in progress, as they say, yeah. it's such an interesting story for me. It sounds like at least initially TV was your kind of outlet to make sense of the world, at least in a simpler context for you as a as an immigrant who lives in a, it's more of a little tiny enclave of what your parents' culture was inside of your house. And then mm-hmm. outside of it, you got the broader American culture that they don't really understand. And so you have to be the intermediary just un- trying to understand it at a really young age. And yeah. it's so complex that you just, the only way you can actually understand it is through media, realistically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think that's a really interesting thing that I think when you're just immersed in it at a young age or you're born into a culture, you just take it for granted, just that you get certain things. And mm-hmm. then just for you to, to realize at 16, to realize that stories is how you make can make an impact on people or change people's mind or anything like that, I think is, is not something that many of us realize early on because they just see it as a creative venture and say, oh, it's just stories. It's no big deal. And it's a, it's, I find it so fascinating. So for just some background, my mom is also a first generation immigrant. Her mom moved here in the seventies. And so she speaks, or my grandmother speaks only Polish and some broken English. So I am very much a second generation version of like my mom's family. And I, so I don't even look Polish or sound Polish or even can speak Polish. So like, it's a very different dynamic there, but I understand a lot of where you're coming from with that very traditional roots at a, from a cultural standpoint, which is a different hurdle to get through altogether. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just curious for you is besides some of the stories you've already mentioned, what was it like that really resonated you from a storytelling aspect. Like you mentioned with Fresh Off the Boat, like people are ready to hear your stories. And I think having those realizations is really important because a lot of us downplay our own stories mm-hmm. in the sense that we just say, no one really is going to care about my story. And you can tell yourself seven ways to Sunday why it won't matter. But in reality, it's everyone's story matters to some degree mm-hmm. or another. Yeah, that's a really good question. I can't say like, one thing as far as like why I'm so like oh they're ready to hear my story like what that story would be because unfortunately I'm not a writer like I wish I had that skill set it's just not where I'm gifted and I know people say that oh it just takes practice but I guess it comes down to I'm not interested (laughs) and that's fine but when I say like my stories I'm always thinking of like others for folks as well like I didn't realize that my story of living these two different world needed to be told or was awesome to see on TV until I saw it on TV until I saw that representation on TV. And like my friends who didn't really understand all the rules I would have to tell them like, no, my curfew is at 10 and I get it that I'm over 18. I understand that I'm legally an adult, but that's not a real thing. And they could watch this and be like, Oh my gosh, I get it. Cause the show could give the detail, the level of detail that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also really big into watching like, global stories like I watched a lot of Bollywood I watched K-drama Hollywood and because I got so obsessed with TV like even in Hollywood I watched to the point where I could guess everything that was happening nothing was surprising like I was just like cool oh my god this thing happened everyone's like that twist was crazy I was like they literally set it up I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) to the point where like my family and friends were like just don't talk during the movie just shut up don't say anything because like you're probably right and they're like I don't want you to ruin it not to say it's a hundred percent but like it's something that happened. And I only experienced that true joy that I had when I was younger watching television, when I was watching global stories. And I guess internalized that like global stories is our stories. Like I consider that my story or our story, right? Like the world 
is so connected now for me to think that just U.S. stories or just like the tropes that we've been introduced to now are mine. It doesn't make any sense. Like we're leaving. It's like visiting. Like it's like imagining that the world is a house and you've only been in the closet. You need to see the living room <laughs> and the places because the human condition. We all experience the same emotions. But the cool thing about these different shows or these different shows from different areas is that they're telling it in a way that maybe you've never experienced. So I can watch a Bollywood movie and experience a range of emotions that I've never, there's this one movie, it's called Kuchna Nakaho. I encourage everybody to watch it. It's amazing. It's three hours long. But the first time I watched it, I was like angry, sad, like to the point of crying and like ecstatic and like excited, giddy within that three hours. But like feeling the full range of each of those emotions. But they're telling a love story, which I have seen about a thousand times in American comedies, in American rom-coms, in American dramas, in other Bollywood movies, in K-dramas. Like it's a common thing, right? Romance is a common thing. But being open to seeing it played out in or being told in another way lets you experience it and it becoming part of you. So that is part of my story or about our stories, because I don't know how I'm going to fall in love. I don't know if I'm going to relate to Bollywood or like American like situations. It could be anything, but I can relate to the different range of emotions or how they're introducing things or being like, like just watching horror movies. Parasite, it won, it won an Oscar and people were like shocked and they're like amazed at like the storytelling ability. Not to say it wasn't amazing. It honestly was, but it also is just different storytelling than the US. And so everyone's watching it and giving it a shot now. And they're like, this is like mind blowing and stuff. You're like, this is a storytelling trope in Korea. Like it's on Korea. <laughs> but we don't experience it here. So if we're just open to it, then like we're expanding what our definitions of like storytelling is or our stories. And that's where it really comes from. I know this is the longest way to answer that question, but oh. that's the answer. So. That's what we do podcasts for. So we can go long form and just ramble on with our ideas. I think it's great. I, I think it's great that you mentioned Parasite because that is one that we actually watched all together, me and Jordan, another friend of ours. We all watched that together because Jordan just fell over for that film. And I found it fascinating from my standpoint, just thinking about other cultures and how they portray media in their own way with their own language, right? I don't know mm-hmm. Korean and most of that film is either in Korean or it's very culturally specific, but you mm-hmm. still get a lot of the same like experiential notes that you've been describing with the Bollywood film. I've always found like it's where things mix, where like the boundaries of things is always yeah. the most interesting for me. Uh, even though I am an engineer, I've always been the kind of person who enjoys looking at things broadly and saying, what if we took something from A and then found like Z and then put them together. And what like what unique thing does that create? And what you're saying here with these cultural things is that we were used to a certain American style of film or entertainment, broadly speaking, that has now been pushed around the globe. But now each of those different areas in the world are being able to experiment and play with their own voice. And I think that's part of the magic in this globalized world, where now the by the tools that made America great or made America able to create these insane media empires, I guess. I'm not sure if that's the right word or entertainment empires is probably yeah, better. Sure. I mean, <laughs> with, yeah. with Hollywood and things like yeah. that and Hollywood. Disney. Yeah. 
But now these tools are now getting across to everyone else across the world and they can make their own version. Like Bollywood is literally an example of Hollywood turning into something for the Indian cultures and, and what they think about is entertainment. It takes roots from the American Hollywood. And I'm curious to see where that goes in the future with other countries. I don't know if you know of anything like that where there's other places around the globe. Yeah, Nollywood, Nigerian Hollywood. Oh, wow. Okay. It's it's huge. And when I say these places, like they're not just starting. This is, oh, I don't even want to give a poor estimate. Over 30 years, 40 years, like maybe longer in some areas. But basically, as long as it's been here in the US, like somebody took it and brought it home. You know what I mean? So Nollywood is huge. Some great programming, some common tropes there too, just like every area has common tropes. But it's what you said, like mixing the storytelling of what whatever platform or template that any many group director producer whatever wants to use and then adding cultural elements for that story changes it completely like for instance like an example because we're talking about romance movies which it makes it seem like i watch a lot they're not <laughs> the one genre i don't watch but for this topic it will work in American television, in order to show, or even movies, in order to show love or affection between two people, it's through like sexual means, right? So they're either like sleeping together, there's like a lot of kissing or a lot of touching. That's how you show affection. It can be from very mild to very graphic. That's like, these people are a couple. In old Bollywood, that is not the case. There is no kissing. But you feel the love like, like you're just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm intruding here. And it was like, making that distinction of like they're doing they have the exact same effect without this what tools are they using that were not or vice versa so how are you telling the same story or how are you expressing that same emotion to the same level of intensity if not more without relying on one tool so if we can gain in the u.s right if we can gain multiple tools to tell the same story how much more interesting would watching tv be or watching movies be because I wouldn't be able to guess. All right, they're cool about to kiss now. I wouldn't know that, and that's just one example. But same thing with like mysteries, or like murder mysteries, or whatever. Oh, the butler did it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you have any like yeah. tools that you enjoy, that, or that like other areas would use more often, or start to incorporate like other ways of storytelling? How do you mean? Like for this instance, like adding the limitation that you can't kiss, or something like that, where. Is there anything that you would enjoy seeing more of that would throw curveballs or what maybe they're missing or just ways to look at like a specific type of scene if we're going to use that romance example? Mm -hmm. One of the things that we see too much of and it's been tried and it's, it's you see it coming from a million miles away. Let's like spice sure. it up and make it original again without reinventing yeah, the wheel. That's really difficult. Um, <laughs> but yeah. this is, again, just my personal taste. So to go back to the, you were talking about the kisses thing, the kissing thing. I would say not having a romantic interest in a story if it's not needed, if it does not push a story forward. Like how many movies you're like, that was so unnecessary. <laughs> like we, they why were they? It? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it doesn't, you're not, you're not furthering the story. It's, there's no point. So I'm really just over that. And I don't think Hollywood's ever going to get rid of it because unless there's like a couple, everyone, no one's going to watch it, which is not true. Yeah. Or they're like, women won't watch it. And that's 100% not true. But the demographic information is getting better now that we have cookies on everything. So that's fine. I'm hoping for the future. Another thing would be not trusting the audience. You have a joke or a setup or 
and a setup could be a joke or even like a big twist happening at the end. It's supposed to be a big twist. It's supposed to surprise you. But everyone is, I don't want to say everyone, just kidding. But sometimes there is a lack of trust in your audience that either they're not smart enough to keep up or that it's going to go over their head or it's just not going to have the largest impact. They're not going to understand how big an impact it will. Maybe they get it, but they don't understand the impact it's supposed to have on the story. So you drop nuggets, like maybe too many nuggets throughout this, like the film or the, the series. And you give away your twist. You give away your like, oh my God moment. Mm-hmm. Because you don't trust that the audience is engaged in your story. And I'm just kind of over that. Like, just trust yeah. us. I'm, I'm, there's so much to watch right now. I'm choosing to engage in this. I'm choosing to give my time to this series or to this movie. Trust that I'm watching it and let me be a part of that journey rather than just telling me what the journey is. Like how much more interesting would it be if I got to experience it rather than you just telling me what happened in the movie? Yeah, definitely. That's, I think that's a really interesting point, especially because it's so saturated in just in all forms of entertainment, right? You're not just talking about films and TV shows anymore. Now you're talking about YouTube and podcasts even fall into this category now to some degree or another where people are going to those for their sources of regular entertainment. I, I think about this regularly as like, how do some, pe- how do people find the thing that you've spent? If you're talking like a TV show, right? Some of these big budget TV shows are spending m- millions of dollars per episode and they don't have a clue. They do probably have some clue, but it's still a crapshoot whether or not that is actually going to be well received by the audience at the end of the day. And I find that idea of is the thing that we're is the story that we're trying to tell actually going to resonate with enough people? Because it obviously resonates with the people that want to make it because they wouldn't make it otherwise. But that's usually a very small group of people beyond the audience that they're looking at and hoping to grab. Why? Yeah. But why is that a small but why do we think that's a small audience? If you like uh, some how many other people probably like that's diminishing like the value that like your interests have or my interests have. Like we're in a worldwide audience. Mm-hmm. Nothing is just playing in the U.S. Whatever's playing on Netflix in the U.S. is playing in the U.K., in Germany, in Japan. Like it's playing everywhere. So you're basically just have to extrapolate. Is there enough people interested in this topic? And their answer is probably yes if you are. Yeah. Um, and that's not even to say that, like, like for instance, how many people are interested in chess before Queen's Gambit? But this, it was about the storytelling, and chess was just the platform or the premise to tell the story. Yeah. So if you've got a good story, use whatever, pre- like, use Dungeons & Dragons. Use, right. <laughs> like, painting. It doesn't matter. It's the story, con- like, concept that really brings people together. And if you want the landscape to be something that some people view as niche, then do it. Because they're here for the individual relationships. They're here for the character development. They're here to engage with the storytelling process, not the like, I'm a mountain climber and I climb <laughs> up. I'm interested in that, you know? Right, yeah. I think, it's I, a really, I think it's a really good point you brought up. Sorry, cutting you off. But Queen's Gamut, like one of the things that I, my friends have talked about it and a lot of people have actually recommended it now in general. One thing I saw earlier on was it actually had impacts on the number of girls going to get chess lessons. Oh, I love that. Just because of the film or just because of a TV show done well. Like you normally, because in general, right, most girls you assume don't think chess is something that's interesting. And all of a sudden a TV show with starring a, a young girl who gets into chess and now all of a sudden opens doors to a reality that, oh, wait, girls can play chess. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful thing about storytelling because it tells a reality for people 
that say, wait, someone like me can do something that I didn't think was acceptable by whatever standard we deem acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the premise or sorry, the landscape that you use to tell the story, I think in very rare cases is like detrimental to the story. You know what I mean? Like in very rare cases, is that going to like poorly impact your story? If it's well-written, it can last. It's not as important, which kind of leads me to like another thing that I'm just not, like I'm less excited for is that we have less, like we're not willing to take as many risks when it comes to the different landscapes that we want to tell a story on top of. Like the six friends who live in an apartment, like how many iterations of that do we have? Because we know the formula works and not to say that they're bad. I love all of them. Like yeah. friends, I met your mother, new girl. Those are all my jam. That's easy watching. I love it. But for something like, for instance, Queen's Gambit, which everyone's like, no one's going to be interested in this. No one's going to be interested in this. And constantly saying that, yes, they would take a risk. The person like, the exec that was like, let's take a risk on this. Look at them now. I think people are nervous to be that person who wants to put their name out there yeah. uh, or put their name on a project, which I get, it's your career. You're working, like you did everything you can to cultivate that. But we're in an area or in a, a space where we get to push the messages forward. Like we get to lead. We get to say what's on TV or what's entertainment. So let's say that. Let's not just regurgitate the same stuff that we have over and over again, unless you're regurgitating that in a different way. Yeah. So yeah. for instance, like there's a remake right now of Walker, Texas Ranger, yep. just called Walker. Compared to the original, it's a completely different movie. Like it's a completely different uh, series and a viewing experience that's essentially so like the old um walker texas ranger is a procedural show granted there's some relational dramas happening between or interpersonal relationship stuff happening between the characters but it is a procedural show each week it's a new crime new thing that they're trying to solve there's not a lot of whole over or sorry overarching season like character development uh, stuff like that mm-hmm. Not much character development and things like that. I, I enjoyed it. I thought the character development was fine. It's just not, it's not character driven. It's That's like story, it is week to week story driven. If there's not an overarching like problem that the characters have to solve, or if there is, it's like very later in the seasons. But then this Walker Texas Ranger, this Walker remake is all emotions, all relationships, all of that with a touch of a little bit of crime solving. And I mean, the touch, like, it is all about the relationships that the Walker has with his kids and the drama he has from losing his wife. And that's a completely different story. That's a retelling to me that makes sense because you're telling a different story with the same premise. But like just doing the regurgitating that we do where it's the same formula, copy paste. I'm just like, be, like take a risk. <laughs> it could pay off huge. So that's just, that's another thing. Not to say I dislike a lot. I think those are just the top ones. Yeah. All right. I, I think it's an interesting point to bring up because it's there's one way to make a story interesting and original, but then there's like a fine line where you start becoming derivative, where you pull too much from one theme or another and you just seem you're, you don't have anything to stand on that's uniquely your style or the style that the story wants to be told in. So it just it has no reason to stick. And I think it's I don't know if it's more of like our time right now where it's like because there's so much breadth of content that we can absorb there's the things that i think capture people are the things that allow you to have a deeper sense of 
something about either the characters or the like the story, the environment of the setting that allows people to fantasize like what is the rest of the world like or or just the people there's something about the characters themselves that maybe you just see something of your own struggles in. I think that's another mm-hmm. big one where people just are able to connect with the character and be like, oh yeah, they're feeling a lot of the same things I'm feeling right now or anything like that. Yeah, you just want to see yourself reflected back into the character that you're watching. How and where, what state, what job, doesn't matter. I just want to see that somebody else is going through the same things that I'm going through. Whether that's happy or sad or like just stress about work, that it's just that. And just like some, just like, trailblaze while making those connections with people so an example would be i'm listening to right now an oral history of the office it's a podcast yeah and i've just been like binging that and it's so cool to see how the office essentially trailblazed this new like form of comedy here in the u.s that wasn't previously accepted through just cringe comedy yeah (laughs) that's not a thing that like people were excited about pre-2000s and yeah. even like early 2000s it was like just trickling in but that was like a new concept people stuck with it worked it workshopped it and like now the office is what the office is today it's one of the most streamed shows i feel like it's a gold standard for like our generation it absolutely is and even for the folks that are like oh i don't like the office or it doesn't resonate with me i don't like it you can't dismiss the success of it and honestly like I get those people I understand I didn't like The Office when I first watched it personally I just think it's like you're it's not your time in your life to watch it you know what I mean like it's like it now revisit in a couple years I'm sure it'll be then like yeah it's just cyclical about where you're at in your life or whether you can relate to these different characters but they trailblazed they did something where the head at NBC was like pushing for the show they like put his name at stake for the show when everyone else is like, there's no success here. This is going to be horrible. And then 40-Year-Old Virgin with Steve Carell came out and bam. I'm, oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, so 40-Year-Old Virgin and, and then like that plus a ton of other things happened, which led to the success of The Office or gave them the legs to give them space to be successful. Um, which is really cool. Not to say that I knew all of this. I want to give credit to that podcast because honestly, <laughs> that was regurgitated word for word. But it was just a really cool thing to learn that this is what trailblazing looks like. You can create an entire genre of comedy. Like from there, we just got Mike Sure, Greg Daniels will make sure. But doing Parks and Rec, then we've got The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like those are all have tinges of a little bit of that cringe. Granted, other com- components of comedy, but it's bringing that here that we've got those shows now that are like landscape landmark shows. I think that's a really cool story because it's something that we can all resonate with because to the average viewer, that might look like something that, of course it makes sense. It's funny. It's what I've been to watch three, four, five times, whatever it is. Yeah. But when you like stop back and look at it, right? That's one of the things I really enjoy about talking with people in general or just hearing people's stories it's like a lot of the times the decisions you make you don't know if they're going to be big successes and and groundbreaking right at the time they just said this could work that's all they had to go on (laughs) and and then now like yeah exactly because it's it takes after the british version of the show definitely Mm -hmm. but it's still not it isn't the british version maybe it has roots or connections by the same name 
But I think it also represents a cultural shift for the average person. I think most of us can put ourselves in, like just using the office as our example, or even Parks and Recs too. I think they're really close to each other thematically. But you can put yourself in those different people's shoes and be like, oh yeah, I know someone who's one of those characters or a collection of those characters. And be like, I know someone like that in my life and God, they're awful (laughs) or whatever it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and simply the fact of, ah, I see you're struggling dealing with that person. So am I. Like, let's just like commiserate, not commiserate. I don't know if that's the right word, but just yeah. like bond over the fact that. Shared you know, suffering. Misery loves company, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is a, a little bit, but it, I think it's too, it's like almost laughing at yourself to some degree because we, it's, we take all these things so seriously. And so being able to step back and just cringe humor it sometimes. Oh yeah, we do get a carried away, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> that like it's life and it's just easy to take a step back and and not take it so seriously you know what I mean this whole industry we all take it ourselves maybe sometimes too seriously maybe sometimes not serious enough especially as we like look towards social issues or trying to change the landscape of what tv looks like in front and behind the camera but as long as we're pushing forward I think we're gonna head in the right direction like we'll be in the right we will we have, I don't know, we'll have progress. It'll just be better. Yeah. It'll just be better, I think, is where, is where I'm at. <laughs> like, across the board, better. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point to bring up with being a part of the entertainment industry in general. It's something, you can't make a, a film or a TV show fast. You can make it fast, but it usually doesn't happen fast. Or right, it's not right. going to be good if it's done fast. A lot of the times, the stuff that you're going to be working on is going to take years of development before it ever gets released to the public. Mm-hmm. And so for you, if you're working on something for that long, it's either how do you one, stay focused? And then two, it's if there's going to be stages where you're overwhelmed and cramming things. So how do you keep yourself from or like resetting yourself when you do feel overwhelmed from just the idea? Because it is such a long term project after project. Yeah. Cycle. And honestly, I'm so early in my career that I'm not at the point where I'm working on the same project for years and years. But just speaking to my mentors who do that, like their biggest thing is make sure that you like the story. You're like in love with the story you're developing, that the writer that you're working with is flexible and willing to like work with you. If you have those, like those two things, then you can focus on what on the story. And for the most part, most people aren't working on just one show or one pilot they're working on multiple different pilots or multiple different like films at the same time so it gives you some variety there I think the passion ultimately just comes from this is what you love to do like you get to be in a room pitch ideas and be like I think this would work maybe try this I don't want to equate it to a writer's room because it's very different but it's just a space where you get to be creative and work with creative people who have the same goal of let's tell a great story and that's awesome. Like, that's just fun. <laughs> yeah. Going back to your where you started with this, right? Having friends who thought you were crazy for wanting to do this and just leaving everything behind that was your life. Being able to do something like this where you're following a passion of yours, it's about finding the right people that see the world in a similar way or have the same passion for the medium of your choosing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So for you, it's like a two-part question again, but it's like, between mentors and then finding like-minded people that are your peers 
Can you just elaborate on either one of those aspects? On one of those aspects that... Like around just like finding like-minded people that can either help push you to like to be doing the thing you want to be doing and then also having the ability to have a peer group that you can bounce ideas off and go back to the drawing board or put... It's, I think about it like working out, like putting reps in. You don't get good by just dreaming about it. You got to start doing something and then hearing your ideas pass through from other people that get it and then, you know, iterate on it. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Okay. So for peer groups, join every networking group. Like I'm not a writer, but I'm a part of a screenwriters networking group. I started my own development networking group, go to talks and meet everyone you can. That's the cool thing about this like town and this industry is you don't know who anybody's going to be now or in a couple of years even. So like, just be kind and be willing to take advice or speak to anyone. Like, you don't want to be like, ah, you're not my area. I'm not going to talk to you. Like people shift all the time. (laughs) You have no idea what's going to happen. So that is where I've really found like, at least my peers are people that I want to be my peers. For instance, the film festival that like I'm co-producing, I met the producer at a networking group that like I don't go to now. But I went to a couple and we were just like, oh, hey, you're cool. You're cool, too. And then like grabbing lunch. And now we're working together on these things. And she's doing amazing things like on her own, too. Working with the Enclave group, it was literally like an introduction that the producer of this film festival made with the producer of you know, at the Enclave. Meet as many people as you can. Ask for introductions. There's nothing wrong with being verbal about, hey, can you hook this up? the worst they're going to say is no. And you're already not getting that meeting if you don't ask, you know? Yeah. So just ask. I'm a real big like asker over LinkedIn. So if there's somebody that I want to meet, somebody that I want to like, just like talk to or be like, hey, do you have tips or set up an informational, you know, interview? I just message them like, hey, so we went to the same college or I just like what you do. Do you feel like talking to me for 10 minutes or like 15 minute call? And people are like surprisingly willing to do that. And then you've got like a connection or or like a colleague or a mentor or somebody for life. As long as you maintain that relationship, like that's somebody that's in your corner. I was lucky enough to get the Series Fest Mentorship Executive Elevation Program. I feel like I've worded that wrong, but all of those words are in the title of the (laughs) program. And... Because of that, like, I now have two mentors, like, at least I'm working in and and hoping to maintain for the foreseeable future that I would not have had before and that I would not have been able to get the insights into what it's like to be a development exec had I not been a part of this program or had I not reached out or even tried to be a part of this program. Yeah. Like, it sucks because the answer is so vague. It's just be available and cast a white net. Because at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. Somebody's going to want to connect. Somebody's going to want to be friends. Somebody's going to want to read your work. Like it's literally a numbers game. And then just be willing to like take advice that people give you yeah. and adapt it to what you're doing. And then you should hold <laughs> it and like, this is what it is. Yeah. I think it's a common theme that you hear a lot in, in, in anyone that's broadly entrepreneurial or trying to break into whatever it is that they're trying to do, because it's, it's getting to that point where you can start being selective about what you say yes to. You got to say yes to everything, right? (laughs) Absolutely everything. Like it has to be everything. And that's okay that everything's not like your dream thing. Like that is okay. You get to get like new skills that you would not have had. That's great. You've got more to add to your tool bet. Like I, I studied marketing 
I can design websites a little bit or, or people seem to think I can. So I did a side business where I'm doing that while I was trying to figure things out here in LA. Mm -hmm. But I got to leverage that to help to help me. Like I asked somebody, hey, I know you need a website developed. Instead of paying me, could you maybe pass my resume out to like your contacts? But that's a skill set that's not typically, it's not a, like a lateral skill set that like you could use. It's about taking what you can or, and using it for to benefit you. Yeah, I, that's a really good way of just leveraging your skill set so that it frees you up to do other things yeah. that you wouldn't yeah. otherwise, or at least that you would trap yourself possibly like working longer hours in a job you really didn't want to be doing, right? As the easy example. I think that's one of the things that people don't look at or they, or they wind up looking at their hobbies in a sense that, oh, that's just a hobby. I couldn't get paid for that. But they really love doing whatever it is that they're doing and they just haven't gone that extra step to say, hey, maybe I can make something about this sustain me so that I could do the thing that I really love. Yeah, but the thing is, if you do it well enough, people will pay you. There are some wild jobs out there, like even outside of entertainment, like some crazy things. And this is your job, like to do this. I wish I could. I'm blanking on them now. I just know every time I hear it, I'm like, that isn't. It's not a real gig. That's not a thing. So if you're passionate about it and you like have fun and you want to make it a hobby, sure, keep doing that. Yeah. But like, just t do your ten thousand hours and try to get paid. You'd right. be surprised what somebody's willing to pay for. My sister always says, don't take someone's no away from them. Mm. So let them say no. Like, they don't have to pay you. They don't have to do it. <laughs> but like, don't say no on their behalf. I, that's a <laughs> great quote. I really like that. I like right? that a lot. <laughs> right? I've heard that. I started applying it to a lot of my life. I'm just like, it's okay. I'm not going to take their no. They but, can say no to me. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It's, it's kind of like the another way of saying you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right? Yeah. And yeah, it, it's such a great way of putting it, especially I just think in this time and age, I think most most people are it's harder to reach out to people given this online environment to some degree because you're like, I don't know, like what's going on. So it just makes it feel like there's more barriers between people because you're not randomly bumping into each other anymore. Like you're not randomly grabbing coffee. You just strike up a conversation with a stranger or whatever it is that facilitates that organic nature of oh i gotta disagree on that oh, this really? has been like my golden peak time interesting everyone's on their computer yeah. what are you gonna say you're there like yeah. people are there. i think it's just hard if you're not like the personality type to like not go after people yeah. if you're not willing to like email a second time or follow up or you know and even a third or fourth time then yes i could see it being difficult because you're not like oh i know they go to this coffee shop a lot i'm gonna hang out here until i bump into them yeah me, that's like much more like nerve wracking and stuff because they're just trying to get coffee and bounce. Like they're not trying to talk to me. But if I hit them up multiple times, hey, really love your work. Love what you're doing. This is like dope. I really resonate. This thing that you did really resonated with me. Can we connect? I just have like a couple questions for you. Most people are like, you like what I'm doing? Like this is amazing. <laughs> for instance, like this podcast, for instance. I was to be like, I have nothing to talk about in a podcast. Like I'm still very early in my career. I don't have any like things to share, nothing. You've got plenty to share. <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> but like when Jordan reached out and was like, hey, you should do this thing. I think you would be good at it for this, that, or the other reason. Like in our Instagram message and even sharing that stuff about you, I was like, oh, somebody wants to talk to me about my experiences. This is sure like why not like people want to talk about themselves like they yeah. want to share what they know it's 
like an ego boost for like majority of people. So if you just keep reaching out, it I'm like not lying on strict numbers game. You will get people to agree to have phone calls and virtual chats and whatever with you. Be available and people will be like, sure, sure. It might not be everybody. It might not be your like top one person. You might not get the CEO of Netflix to be sit down for a call, but maybe their assistant, like who right. knows? You'll, you try hard enough and long enough, you'll eventually hear, hear back from somebody. Yes, like you can't have, <clears throat> back to it, you can't have a plan B. Like this is, this is what you're going to do, like for whatever it is, go all in. At least that's what's been working for me, not having a plan B. I don't want to tell people not to because I feel like that's mad irresponsible, so I'm sorry. But for me, at least, I don't have a plan B because this is what I'm doing. Yeah, This is all that I'm going to do. So I have to make this work. <laughs> and that's enough motivation to be like, all right, cool. We're going to have to grind until we meet enough people, do whatever, make friends with folks and learn from each other to make this thing a reality because there is no plan B. I think that's an important thing to have when it's in such a, you know, challenging or competitive environment. It's, you have to have that either dedication or just some people will call it grit that to just say, this is where I'm going. And if it takes me 10 years before I got that big break, then at least I got to say, I, there's no more what if on the table because yeah. I tried at the very least. <laughs> you yeah. Know. And it's just, yeah. And just not comparing yourself to other people. Like mm. I am going to be 30 in a couple years. I'm going to say a couple years, but I look at people who are straight out of college who are further than I am. That's not helpful to me. That's right. not going to motivate me more. That's just going to be like, oh, why aren't you further in your career? Why aren't you doing this, that, or the other? That's not, it's helpful to literally no one. <laughs> so it's just don't compare yourself to other people's journeys. Like I did other stuff after college. Mm-hmm. Other people did other stuff throughout their lives to get them where they're at today. So if you just keep your head down, keep grinding, do what you need to do. Like it will happen. It just might not happen at the same pace as like your neighbor. Right. You could be faster. You could be slower, but you're both going to get the thing that you want if you could just keep working towards it also there's like luck and other stuff at play but that's so minimal like it really comes down to work yeah we could have the debate about where luck and talent or or any version of that hard work and luck and i think they play some sort of role to some degree it's about time and place to some degree too but also if you're not setting up the at-bats then you're not going to be able to hit it out of the park so (laughs) it's you know you don't have to get ready if you stay ready if you somebody had an opportunity for you and you've been practicing then you're good like you don't have to freak out and be like ah, oh, i'm not there yet that's interesting because like, for me i think it's less luck and more networking if you somebody they'll just be like do you want this job or do you want to do this and you're just like sitting here like what about me like i went through their proper channels i don't know you but like i have all the requirements at least yeah. for business it's so much of who, yeah. which is mad upsetting but i feel like that's that's a lot of it in a lot of different places it's knowing Mm -hmm. the right person and having the right perception at the right time with those key people i could say that even about this podcast is i didn't go into this expecting to start interviewing people or anybody outside of friends and just talking Mm -hmm. about interesting ideas and then all of a sudden i had people asking me hey do you do you think i could come on the podcast and talk i'm like i'm like i'm not I'm not an interviewer, but I, I think I can let's talk about the awesome things that you do because I know them yeah. or something. And then over time, friends and uh, friends of friends and say, hey, I met this awesome person. You should really have them on the show. And next thing you like, that's how, you know, me and you are talking. And 
this, yeah, exactly. Literally, yesterday is three years of this podcast. So, yes, it's wild. It's so it feels crazy. I've already been doing this for half of the time that I was in college, and I've probably spent actually more time on this thing than I have in all of my college career combined so far because of just how much it, it just sits in my brain. But <laughs> you know, oh, I love that. It's yeah, it's exactly that. So like, you get it. Oh, I get it a hundred percent. And. Half the time when I do get responses, I'm like, is that, how is this happening? I'm like, I'm like, I'm just the guy that just does this for fun. <laughs> like, I'm not an author, or a scientist or whatever. I'm just. <laughs> but like, we all like that. There's value in that. Like, I think as a society, we're so like stuck on what additional thing can I bring to the table outside of like yourself? I am enough to deserve a seat at whatever table because I have my own ideas, I have my own experiences. So do you. Yeah. So it's not like you don't have to be a scientist to, to be a scientist. Yes. But not to host a podcast, but have a bunch of right. like accolades, like you simply loving it and keep doing it. Like what else could somebody ask of somebody who's hosting a podcast? Yeah. No? That's why I started doing it because I, I remember listening. I mentioned this a little bit before we started, but I, I was listening to podcasts like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and all those people that are humongous now that you probably hear probably once a week at this point. And I would listen to their shows and it got to the point where it's just like, how do they get to talk to interesting people? I want to be able to talk to interesting people. And like on, on top of that, I didn't really think about this specifically, but now looking back on it, I look at it as, oh, I was thinking about it in terms of there are people like Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and whoever greats in any industry. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Even Steven Spielberg, they were all 20 at some point or, or in their early twenties, just starting out doing whatever it is that they was, was crazy thing they were doing. Someone said yes to them, mm -hmm. but we don't know what their experiences were because there wasn't ability to document it. And so yeah. I, I feel like that kind of person that can go to people that are my peer group and say, hey, what are the crazy things that you're doing in your life right now? And how are you working toward the thing that you see yourself being able to do in the next five to 10 years? Or yeah. not even that, or just what are you working towards right now? And what do you really care about? And just talk about it. Because I just don't think that it gets trained out of us because if you take the safe job, you take, you go to school and you get married. And then next thing you know, you have a house and a mortgage payment. And all of a sudden that thing that you really cared about it fades off in the distance and you don't get a chance to share that thing that you're really passionate about anymore because you got bills to pay. Yeah. And I think yeah. we have a lot more, uh, I think we can do a lot more for not only ourselves, but for other people around us that just need to hear that level of, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> and cause I just love this thing and I'm just going to keep doing that thing because I just yeah. need an outlet for it to be able to share that because we don't get a chance to, cause a lot of us, I don't remember if, when I was growing up in school, when you really were interested in something, you couldn't really talk about it, or at least because I wasn't really into sports or anything like that. I was really just interested in science, broadly speaking. I knew a whole bunch that the average kid did not know at a really young age. And so I just kept it to myself. And I couldn't talk about it because I'd just be called a nerd or a dork or whatever. It was a socially acceptable interests. Yeah. Like school allow you to be interested in. Right. That was <laughs> That's what you got to choose from. Like, yep. And so I just kept it all in and didn't voice that at all. And it mm -hmm. puts you in this weird headspace of being able, like just constricting your interests and being like, no one cares about that. And so my thing is always about like, how do you take someone's interest and say, no, you can talk about that thing and I'm not going to interrupt you or say it's stupid or why do you care about that thing? Let's just go. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to listen. <laughs> yeah.
No, I love that. That's, and it's, it is really difficult. Like when you're younger and you're like hyper excited about one topic, like <laughs> definitely is because nobody else seems to care at the same level that you do. And I think you're right. As we get older, like it, it to find that voice to be like, okay, I'm going to go all in when your whole life you've had to like hide or mitigate your excitement or just not be like, as just like, you have to just like be careful about how excited you are about it because it wasn't as interesting it is it's diff- it's difficult to make that switch um in your head it's still difficult like i by no means am comfortable 100 percent with it mm-hmm. i just know that like, i would be so much more unhappy if i was doing anything else even with a crazy work schedule or even not have like being in meetings all the time or like just being so busy i can't do other things like i'm much happier now than like when i was going out on sales calls and that's just, that's just what it is. Maybe that's, that's it. That's the simple passion. fact, right? Like, that's, yeah, it. <laughs> that's it. Like no holds bar, like period, stop, like full stop. That's it. Like, and it's, it's hard because you'll say that and we're in a space right now where everyone, not everybody knows what they're passionate about. Yeah. Um, or you don't know what that thing is that, you know, that just drives you. And that's okay too. Cause like it allows you this opportunity to explore try multiple things. Yeah. And I think as a society, we're not really quite there yet. We're allowing people to try multiple things. Like it's okay to have more than one career. I Yes. <laughs> one area. Because yeah. we pick at like 18. It's so early. It's dumb. You don't know too much about my background, but my, so my school is totally weird. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. As I said, I was broadly scientific. So I was like, I could do a mm-hmm. lot of different things with that, but I'm also very practical minded. So I just, I picked engineering at the end of the day. Cause I'm like, oh, it's going to open as many doors as I, as I can. But I worked full time basically all the way through college. So it took me like six years to get through college. So I'm only almost two years out of college now. And, mm-hmm. and it took me a really long time and to manage a job and school at the same time. I, I did that too. It's difficult. It was really rough. For sometimes, especially like toward the end of the senior design projects and things like that. And that's not to be like to my own horn or anything, but it was more of, I chose something because I th- knew I could do it. And I wanted to do something that would be broadly, like it could open categories rather than constrict things. Mm-hmm. And then it got to a point where I just, I'm such a broad person that the idea of holding one type of job forever, it just seems like insane because when you're 20, if you go to college right out of 18, right? Like you're picking your major and by 22, you're going to, you're in quotes saying you're going to do the same job for the next 30, 40 years of your life. And I just always thought that was insane to say yeah. that I'm the same person I was when I was 18 and at, and as I was at 22. And then now I'm when I'm, I'm 27, almost 28, that's incredible. And even to say, like I mentioned, three years of doing this podcast, that's, I could say I was a different person three years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Just if you even think about all the changes that anybody goes through in their 20s, yeah. like early 20s to 25 is insane. Yeah. 20, I can only speak to 28 because that's where I'm at. Yeah. So <laughs> from even 25 to 28, like like you're saying, I don't know who past Aiden was. Like she like did dumb stuff that I would be like, are you kidding? Or just had different interests. Like maybe like career wise, it was in film, but like things that I like to do for entertainment or like conversations I like to have are completely different. And those are the things that affect your every single day or affect your development as a person. Why like discard it? I, <laughs> I do like that. Like, I feel like future generations, like our generation and future mm-hmm. are more open with this like gig economy and being like, all right, cool. I did this. It's okay to master something to the level you're okay mastering it at. If someone wants to be an engineer and they're an engineer for 10 years, like I've gotten everything I needed out of this. Yeah, I'm a painter now. Great. Do that. Need more of that. And it's okay to start over when you're like older. Like that's 
totally fine or start at the bottom of a new industry because you're probably bringing a perspective that space hasn't had in a long time because you're bringing a wealth of knowledge from an, another industry that maybe that industry doesn't have to so go to this engineer to painter thing. If you're used to, I don't know a lot about engineers, so maybe it's a horrible example, but if you're an engineer and you think very logically or you're putting different pieces together, trying to make things work and you decide to be a painter then you could incorporate that or your lifetime of skills are now how your brain functions because you've been doing that for so long yep. into your pieces of art that maybe 20 year olds right out of art school aren't thinking about because they didn't have 20 years of engineering school or engineering experience. Yeah, Like that's something that's valuable that nobody else has, but you, like you now have, you have a core competency that nobody else has, which you can keep doing it and then sell it. And now you have a job that you didn't think you had and it's great and you love it. And then when you're done with that, find something else. Yeah. It's, as long as you can eat, provide for yourself, change whatever you need to. And it doesn't have to continuously be this like high level of living. As long as you're happy with the life that you have, then that's fine. You don't have to keep like going right. up. Like up the materialism, like the, yeah. the always a, trying to accumulate more, whatever that more might be. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Like respond, like you have kids or you like right. the mortgage or whatever. So you do have a base level that you need to make. But if you can find a way to do that, and it's if it's less than what you're making now, that's okay, because you're still covering it. But like your quality of life, like now you're happy again at work, like you were when you were 20, and you were exploring something new like with engineering, like now you're happy doing this. Like, yep. it's just like life is a journey, you don't really have to finish it. Right. <laughs> and then go like coasting through the rest of it. Not to say that's what everyone's doing. That's just like my fear. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I've always been the kind of person who's, I don't want to stagnate, whatever that looks like. <laughs> it could look like it's stagnating to on the outside, like the outside viewer. It could look like you're stagnating, but internally you're doing a bunch of other stuff. Like right. in your home, like you just might not be selling it or sharing it with other people. Okay, cool. I'm gonna get into poetry and you don't want to show anybody and that's your passion now. Great. I feel like the idea of the entrepreneur is so romanticized nowadays that it's, you always have to do something that is going to become your side gig that makes you money or then mm -hmm. becomes your side gig that then takes over your job. I don't think it needs to do that. Like you could yeah. be like the guy who just is a weekend warrior and whatever thing that it is that you want to be doing. And as long as you love it and you just make it a point to go do that thing and you, and then you're happy with your day job. Cool. Yeah. It doesn't have to have, you could just have fun. Like exactly. <laughs> and that is okay. That is even great because there's not an added pressure of your livelihood attached to it. Yep. Uh, that's something that's really hard for me. I'm being honest. Like I doing anything that doesn't, that doesn't push forward mm -hmm. is really difficult. And it's something that like I'm actively trying to undo. And I think that's just because that's how we're raised. Like school, everything is like, you learn a subject so you can get tested on it so that you can move out and move to the next stage of that subject. But like it's not to ever really enjoy anything. I think maybe art class, maybe. but like you've got grades in art class. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, but. that's a tough one. I try to remind myself it's once you're out of college or whatever, like form of education you want to get graded on life doesn't have a grade. Like, like maybe there's some moral grade, ethical and moral things about that you can grade yourself on, but that's really personal and to each his own to decide where that line is drawn. And I think personally speaking, at least the way that I've built this and why I enjoy it so much is to find the things that allow people to live better and yeah. living better is such a broad term, but in, at the end of the day, it's like being able to connect with fellow human beings and yeah. You know, 
connect with other people outside of these conversations so that you can feel like a fulfilled human being with mm-hmm. those around you that are you're really that are you're really connected with or mean a lot to you. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just actually I even want to ask like how much more like knowledgeable must you even be like you've connected with so many people about so many different topics. You're just like, yeah, oh yeah, I talked to somebody about this. How crazy it is. And you can talk about something that like maybe I couldn't because I'm so focused on this one mm-hmm. thing when I'm trying to find a way to diversify my interests or like mm-hmm. trying to like do things that don't that are like more for like relaxation purposes. Mm-hmm. You're becoming this fully formed person instead of a like a career like yeah. only like person. career, career sanction centric. Yeah, like there's so much more to life. And I'm saying this even I enjoy what I'm doing. So I'm I'm like hoping fingers crossed that that's okay. You found like a, a life hack. But yeah. like you're like you're this fully formed person who you have knowledge about different areas and different interests. And it all comes down to connection. You got all this because you connected with different people, which I think is is super cool that I'm like, this is what we got, what I personally have to work on. And I'm excited to, but yeah, yeah. I just think that's like great that you have all that info. Well, one, I appreciate that for a lot. And a lot of it comes down to just being able to put space in between things that are really important to you, even though you might love, for instance, doing this TV and in film production or just in general around entertainment. You were just really invested in that. But there's also certain things like for me, I could be working all the time. And a lot of times I am working all the time where I get off of work and I'm back doing something like this, where I get off of work and I'm doing something else from other things that I'm really care about. And so I basically make sure to put time in to do things that are non-negotiable, like Mm -hmm. meditation or working out or eating healthy or lately because I like with the pandemic you can't go outside as much or go out to places as much I try to go out during the middle of the day to get in the sun and just get away from the house because I just feel better after having left it and it's paying attention to these ideas it's it's broadly mental health but like recovery like paying attention to how like my energy is being used so that I can recover as effectively every day so that I can play the long game with because I, I, I'm like we said, we're like we're in our later twenties now, but realistically, we got a long time. Of, Fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming something ca- catastrophic doesn't happen, like I do, like realistically, statistically, I guess is pr- probably the best way to put yeah. it. Is we have a lot of life ahead of us, and yeah. so the idea is being able to put things in place or habits and things like that will be the most robust things that allow us to be the best people. In every situation, not just in your career, but with your friends, with your family. And then eventually, if that's in your cards of being a parent or a friend or uncle to, if you don't want kids, but you have little ones that are part of your family, then you have to still play those roles. And so I really take a lot of this more long-term approach to life in, in thinking about how to be a better human in every aspect, not just in career. That's a really interesting perspective. That's so opposite. Mine, it's wild. I like yours better, honestly. It does have the longevity, you know, aspect. Like it's not like plan then go, plan then go, but it has more of a long term plan. Yeah. And mine is just plan then go. It's so focused on like right now. What do we need to do right now? And it doesn't leave a lot of space for other things. And also, my version of relaxing is to watch TV, like just to be like, like to disconnect is to do that. Yeah. And even that is is work because I'm like accidentally yeah, studying. You're analyzing it then there. Yeah. Like I was <laughs> over Christmas and I was literally analyzing. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why did they do this? Like, 
this what is I don't understand and like out loud verbalizing like with my family and there's is this what you do every time you watch tv now and I it took a step back to realize I was doing that for anything that I had not seen prior before I dug my heels into this so maybe a year and a half two years anything I've seen in that last year and a half to two years I'm just like not even truly enjoying the thing that I enjoy. It's a juggle for everybody. That's who you are and being able to, it's more of just being aware of what it is that you need at a given time. I do have a book that I could recommend for you. Okay, yeah. (laughs) All the resources, yes. So the book I'm going to recommend, I've actually given it to all of my friends last for 2019. So it's Awareness by... Anthony Diamello. I gave it to all of my friends because I got so much out of it for Christmas that you can ask Jordan about it because he has one too. And so it was one of my favorite books. It's really short. It's super digestible. It's kind of like he's a speaker. He's a Jesuit priest, surprisingly, and also a psychologist. And so all of the entire book is like transcribed talks that he gave and like short ideas. They're not really chapters. It's like maybe a couple pages per idea. But it's all transcribed audio, so it's very easy to read. It's not high intellectual speak. It's just like talking about different ideas that we have about ourselves and about how we interact with people. And I thought it helped put separation between like my day and my brain and just exist for a little bit that I would read like at like right before bed, just one chapter, just whatever, like it was like a page or page and a half. And I would just read one little chapter and I would put it down and then I go to sleep. And yeah, that's, okay. that's I, I, yeah. Well, I definitely need to check that out. It's, it's really order it, watch it, or read it. Yeah, it's really good. I I recommend it to almost anybody because it's I don't know it's my most recommended book across the board. <laughs> and so it's if you're just looking for ways to slow yourself down, I think a book mm-hmm. like that is one of those things. Or just having some sort of meditation like practice, uh, or yeah. mindfulness practice. I use. I have used Headspace. I currently use the Sam Harris app, but any of the ones that you find on the internet, you probably find stuff on YouTube now for free too. Those all help. And I just do 10 minutes a day. It's not like I'm not some Zen Buddhist. I don't subscribe to anything crazy like that. It's just like some ways to just check out because I am so type A, even though I may sound like I'm not, I very much am. Like <laughs> See, Again, I feel like this is opposite. I feel like I sound like I am type A and I'm not. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's really frustrating because then like you'll be describing your day or things that you need to get done in like detail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like listing things out and you're very like, you're specific. Yeah. They're in a specific order and they're in that order for a reason. Oh, wow. You're really so put together. And you're like, no, not at all. Like I did this last night and we're flying off the seat of our pants. This is what we're doing. No, that's a really great suggestion. I'm going to check the book out. Definitely. You know what? I love the book recommendations ever. I think book recs are great. This friend of mine just recommended a couple different books to me. They are film books. So that, that <laughs> works for me. Once I'm interested, but they were great. Like I love them. I mean, I if there's any books that like you would recommend to someone who's either getting into film, so we could yes. do because we could do two different ones here. So one like for specifically for film people or for storytellers, and mm-hmm. then the other section would be just more general like books that you just enjoy, like for. Mm-hmm like fun reads for yourself oh i feel bad i don't do a lot of fun reads it doesn't matter then it's okay okay. if if it's possible if not then don't worry about it okay i actually was just reading one the screenwriters let me just make sure because have you ever just get into reading a book and then you forget the name of it all the time Uh, (laughs) actually looking at it so the screenwriters problem solver it's by sid field 
So it's by Sid Field and it's great. I think that's really great if you are a screenwriter, if you're into product, if you're in the development process, because it could help you pinpoint why something's maybe not working or why you're like bumping against it. And maybe you don't know the reason why, but you're just like, this feels off. It can help with that as well as with some character development, which character development is everything in a script. Like you gotta know who your characters are and what they're gonna do. If anybody has seen the Shit's Creek like making of a documentary that's on Netflix. There's like a very small like snippet where Eugene Le- or sorry, David Levy's talking about how his dad basically made them focus on the pilot for two weeks and wow. just go over and, over and over again. Like it's one episode, right? And over and over just to make sure that they understood each character. Like they dived in on those characters and they're like, I want to know what David's going to do in any situation. I want to know what Alexis and what Eugene's going to do or Moira is going to do in any situation because you know them so well when you're writing. If you can do that, like it changes the game. It takes a lot of work, but it changes the game and the level of your script. Just like hands down. And I think that book could help with that. Another one is our showrunner's uh, guide to or TV mapping. What is it? The showrunner's guide to TV mapping. I think that's I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, I'll find show one, notes for this and correct it if it's wrong or anything like that. So yes, it'll perfect. Be, it'll be on the webpage for people. <laughs> yeah. Eric's got it, guys. Yeah, because because I don't. I don't. Yeah, I wish I had more leisure read. I don't. Oh, good. <laughs> I read a lot of like scripts and stuff. So any free time I have to read those so yeah. that I can see feedback. Um, maybe one day. I used to love reading. So maybe one day. So I guess just because you're so invested in film and TV, for you, gold standards, if you're really interested in wanting to understand like storytelling for these <laughs> genres, what are maybe like the top three that you would recommend people really understand or should check out oh. if they haven't? Like shows? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm about to change all of your lives. Okay, I'm a real big fan of comedy, so I'm just going to lean into to comedy. Some are dark, some are not. Man Like Mo Bean is on Netflix, and it is, I actually wrote it down earlier today, just so I could like, have the snippet just to have. And it is an amazing show where, ugh, it's like a great comedy where like, it's all people of color talking about real issues in a way that makes you be like, oh my God, but you're like not exhausted from watching it like you, there's real issues that are happening today but you can relate you can feel what they're feeling and then still be uplifted at the end of it not to say that it wraps up in like a cheesy way because it doesn't but it's fantastic the characters are all working class citizens who just like enjoy their lives in like the hood in the uk man like Mobine on netflix def check it out another one is why women kill it's a CBS All Access show. They just got greenlit for a second season. And it's, I literally called maybe six people after I watched it. and was like, this show is amazing. The way they did the finale was ridiculous. The story kind of centers around a house and three generations of families that have lived there. And they all in some way or another try to kill the men in the house, which I feel like is not giving it away based on the title. And it's just like the different reasons why. And it goes into psychology behind it. And it's a very dark comedy. So if you like dark comedy, like that is an amazing show. If you have a CBS All Access pass or account subscription, then def check that out. And then I feel like this is an obvious, but my third one I would have to say is Insecure. It's, I'm like mad late to be recommending it, but it's good. Great. It's 
awkward black girl story, which I felt like I resonated with a lot growing up in the Midwest. And it's just great. You could just see Issa like really shine in that show. And you get to really see the like Yvonne orgy. She comes out in Molly in such an amazing way. I thought Natasha Rothwell, like when I say comedic relief is Natasha Rothwell. She does it in such a fantastic way where you're like, oh, she's not just here for the little snippet. Like she has something to say. But it's always hilarious. She's got the best like mannerisms. Just watch Insecure. It's great. And they're doing their final season. Season oh, wow. five. Last season. So cool. there's enough for you to binge. Those are awesome recommendations because I actually haven't heard of really any of those. And that's, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Check them all out. So it gives me more to go peruse. And if I see it in recommended or whatever reason, I know I have now a reason to go watch it rather than just seeing it yeah. recommended. Normally, that's how I get a lot of my stuff. Someone mentions it to me or I hear it on a podcast and I'm like, well, I guess it's been sold now. <laughs> so that's awesome. So we've been already over an hour. So we right. so before we wrap up here really quick, I just want to ask one more question is from everything we've been talking about. Is there any other ideas that have popped up in your head that you might want? to just share with the audience we've talked about so many different things about taking the leap into the unknown to pursue the things you care about or mm -hmm. even just being able to deal with things reaching out to people and, and getting comfortable with failure really yeah, yeah you know and just so broadly speaking any other like ideas or themes that come to mind for you from your experience that you just want to give to the audience i mean i feel like i just like i shared word vomited everything so I don't know that there's any like hidden gem because I, I feel like I would have said it but mm -hmm. just to reiterate like just do stuff that you like and you're not the only one who likes it even if it feels like it if you like it guaranteed at least a thousand plus like it is you just might not know them so with the internet and everything just find that chat like that chat room that forum whatever connect with those people and like just chill relax pop off do your thing and if that's where you want to have a career, great. If you just want to keep it where you're enjoying it, great. But don't not do it because your circle doesn't do it. Yeah. yeah. So last fun one. I just thought of it right now. I don't use this one too often, but it's like if you had a billboard. Yeah, and, yeah. And so if you had a billboard and you want to just give a message out to millions of people on that billboard, what would you say? Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't hear Nobel. Basically, I saw a meme. This was from like Wall Street Bets. Yeah they had it all over this is like when amc wasn't going up still not right now but like fingers crossed and essentially it's just like a it's just a, a cartoon a beat up mario saying i didn't hear no bell like your journey's not over just because you're not successful right now like you've not made it right now it's not over and i literally have just been quoting that all the time since i saw it because i think it's a hilarious way to be like you got this yeah uh, and at the end of the day if i had a billboard I would want to just encourage people like you have this, like you got it. It's not done. Like just keep going. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. so, that's so good. I like, <laughs> as you said that with the Mario thing, I like heard the Mario sound when you hit the flag and it climbs up and it's got that really now trademark sound effect. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as anyone who grew up in the eighties and nineties, that sound. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's so good. So yeah. final thing. <laughs> Is just where can people connect with you on the internet if they want to reach out? They can connect with me on Instagram. I'm at A Yaragal. So that's Y A R E G A L. The same with LinkedIn, A D, and then my last name. And I feel like those are like my places. I'm okay. on Facebook, but it's not. Oh, Twitter. I don't tweet. I retweet a lot. A D Yaragal. 
Find me on Twitter. Let's connect. Yeah, I'll have links in the, again in the webpage so people can find that and make it easy if they want to do reach out. As always, perfect. So perfect. Perfect. This Excited. is awesome. <laughs> it was great. Thank you so much for having me on here. I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure, which allows you, the listener, to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Meaning that you, the listener, and me, the creator, can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things. Because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast. But I love it. And I hope that... By you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy.